Welcome everybody to another episode of CG Cast. Today I'll be interviewing Neil Blevins and I have Dennis with me to keep me company. So Neil, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, sure. Well, um, I started off doing CG a very, very, very long time ago, uh, back in the, I guess, late 80s. I really loved um, video games. And um, I'm originally from, uh, from Montreal in Canada, and I did a whole lot of pixel, my pixel stuff, because that's how I did video game work back then. This is just, you know, me and a couple of friends. You know, I had a friend who was a programmer and liked uh, programming stuff, and I liked making art. And so two of us got together, and then... Uh, Years later, I discovered a actual 3D piece of software, which just blew my mind that you could make stuff inside of 3D. And so I went ahead and uh, uh, bought it and started playing with it. And it was this program called Pavre, and that sort of led me into doing the whole uh, 3D thing. Um, and yeah, I mean, I enjoy doing sci-fi and uh, weird alien landscapes and big robots, and I'm um, still doing that today. That's uh, cool. So. Um... What, what what type of work have you done so far? Well, uh, I'm, I've done a whole lot of different things. When I was at Blur, uh, where I worked um, a few years ago, I did ride poems and commercials and TV work and, and uh, movies and uh, you know video game cinematics and a huge number of different things. Um, and uh, now at Pixar, I'm uh, focusing on um, animated features. Uh, and then in my own time, I do the equivalent of 3D paintings. Um, I'm originally from a, a painting background, so while I, I enjoy doing stuff that's animated or moving around, what I really enjoy doing is making beautiful images. So I take um, um, the, the 3D tools that I have and I do the equivalent of painting. It's just it happens to be mostly done in 3D. Although I've been branching out into doing more 2D stuff on the computer these days because the one thing about 3D is, as uh, actually we were talking before, it's not as immediate. You have to there's a lot of setup time to get something to happen. But when you just sit down and start painting, you can have something done pretty much you know way 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 faster. And there's something really nice about that. Yeah, that's true. I, I noticed that there was there's like a difference between the 2D world and the 3D world. Like the 2D world seems to have more feeling to it than the 3D world. Well, that's stuff that will eventually start you know, disappearing as time goes on. But, I mean, that's something that I've really been trying hard at recently is trying to merge those. Um, if you look at my, my more recent artwork, I've been trying to do stuff which is 2D, 3D hybrid. So you get, you know, some of the grit and dirt and grime of, of the real world and the happy accidents. Uh, but then at the same time, you get the, the precision of the, of the 3D work. So I think eventually, you know, stuff will start merging together. Um, I'm even attempting to do stuff like one of the things about um, 2D that I really love is is a standard way of painting is you paint in all the big forms first, and then you refine them slowly over the palette and make sure that n none of your image is at any higher level of progression more than any other area of the image. So I'm trying to do the same with 3D to some extent, um, as opposed to building you know every little tiny detail of one thing and then bringing it into the scene, try to get the whole scene being worked on simultaneously as I, as I build it up. So I think there's a lot of lessons from, from 2D art that, that uh, 3D 
many people will will learn. And also, there's a you know, it's also just about the software. The software is still very much in its intimate uh, its uh, infancy. And I hope that in the future, 3D software becomes more uh, more immediate and more um, allows you to do things like um, uh, more natural media type stuff. I hope so too. How do you think the 3D software will evolve? Will it be, you think it will be more like a ZBrush-ish? Um, to some extent, although hopefully it'll have a more standard interface. <laughs> um, the it. it what I really hope is going to happen is that software is going to become more about the way you think as opposed to taking the way you think and trying to change it based on what the software can do. So, like, one thing I really would love is in your brain, when you're building something, you sort of have an inner dialogue in your brain of, of the instructions that you are trying to do. Like, I want to move this box five you know, centimeters over, I want to grab this space and I want to extrude it. And, and some tools are like that, but there's a lot of tools that just don't happen in the same way that you're thinking. And you have to say, it's like a translation process. It's like, I'm thinking in English, but I have to translate it into French to then talk to the French person. So it's sort of the same thing where you're, you're uh, thinking of something in English, you have to then transfer it into 3D Studio Max language and then tell 3D Studio Max how to do it. And it would be nicer if the software would just kind of flow and do the things in, in your own language, which is, is a, a very complex UI problem. And I think that's an area that I would really love if um, the software guy spent more time on and that was really coming up with, with better ways of, of interacting with the, the tools. Because at this point, we, we basically have all the tools that we need to do everything we want to do. It's just that so many of them are cumbersome or difficult. So I, I think at this point, it's more about refining the tools so that they do things in a more immediate way. Um, and ZBrush is a good example of, of a first stab at that, um, which you know was, was quite revolutionary. And now you have Mudbox and, and other programs sort of headed in the same direction. Uh, or actually, I guess even before any of those stuff, like uh, uh, Artisan Paint in uh, uh, Maya was a, a sort of similar deal. Uh, I've never tried Maya. What what app do you use? Because that was a good explanation you had, but uh, what, what's your background, actually? Uh, as far as software goes? Yeah. Well, I started with Pavre, then I moved into 3D Studio DOS um, <laughs> back in like 94, something like that. I can't remember it so long ago. Um, and I used 3D Studio all the way up until um, about uh, four years ago, where I sort of split because um, I was using Maya a lot and proprietary tools at Pixar. But at home, I still use 3D Studio because there's a lot of really nice features it has that I really like. Um, and I mean, when it comes down to it, most of the apps these days are pretty similar to each other. It's just the little nuances that are different. Okay. So, um, there's a few things about Max that I really like and, and really works well for the, the way I think. And, um, I would really, you know, love if other pieces of software had some, some similar stuff, but, uh, everyone has their own opinion about how to, how to go about working and, you know, it's all cool. Yeah, that's true. There's a lot of Maya Max wars going on. Yeah. Which yeah. I think is just so silly. I mean... Maya is good at some things, and Max isn't. Max is good at some things, and Maya isn't. And ideally, neither of them are, are good. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's the ideal piece of software hasn't been created yet. They're both just trying to solve the problem in their own way. So, um, the, the, especially after I started using other pieces of software, it was actually really nice because it finally just you know showed me, hey, no piece of software. There's no reason to have a war, and if people are having a war over software, it's just because you know they're they're angry people and they want something you know a way to feel make themselves feel more important. And I present fanboys that kind of thing. Yes, fanboys. They have way too much free time. Especially, especially <laughs> the, the worst wars are the Mac versus PC. 
Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. And I'm well. I mean, no, actually, the worst wars are you know all the uh, you know religious wars that have gone on for the past thousand. <laughs> Well, it's all just an extension of that. It's like, you know, I'm different than you, therefore I hate you because I'm, you know, you're different. That kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, like, if I, if I like X thing and you like Y thing, we shouldn't fight about it. Yep, definitely. I totally 100% agree. And uh, who knows, maybe in uh, several thousand years the human race will get to that point, but I guess we're not quite there yet. <laughs> Probably. I hope so. <laughs> I don't think we'll see that long. <laughs> we'll probably, probably be annihilated but... by ourselves. Well, we can always hope, though. I, I tend yeah. to try to remain positive about it, even though I, I'm realistic about the negative. The cockroaches will take over. <laughs> yes, indeed. No, by then we'll have evolved into cockroaches. So. Oh, probably. But Fish anyway, circle. <laughs> anyway, back on subject. Back on topic. Um, you said you worked on a proprietary software. Was it like really hard? Was it? Was there a big change, or is it very similar, or did it take well, a long time to adapt? Not, not really. I mean, it really... Back, back when I was in school, before I did um, a fine art degree, I did one year of computer science, and I had a really good computer science teacher who basically said, it takes you a weekend to learn a language and a lifetime to perfect it. <laughs> and so his basic tenant was, I'm not going to teach you a specific programming language, I'm going to teach you the concepts that a programming language has, and then w when you run into a new one, all you have to do is say, okay, well, this this language has blah and blah and blah, and it doesn't have blah and blah and blah, and then the rest of it is all just figuring out, you know, the syntax, or in the case of 3D software, it's about figuring out where the buttons are that do the things you want it to do, but um, I, I seem to, you know, be okay at, at learning new pieces of software pretty quickly. Um, I try to remain more about the the concepts and you know what you're trying to do and then try to figure out how to get the software to do the thing that you're trying to do and, and i think that's a, a good way of really quickly learning a new piece of software do you have to switch much between different programs or oh tremendously um i jump between i, I don't know on the average day seven eight nine pieces of software jumping back and forth uh, at home doesn't that confuse you with all the different settings Yes, tremendously. That's why I really love pieces of software that have um, more, like, there's a certain UI standard for 3D software, and I really wish that uh, companies would, would um, sort of approach it. And many have. I mean, like, you know, XSI, for example, has sort of make my bot buttons closer to Maya, and uh, Modo has, you know, a lot of its stuff is very similar to Maya, and... Mm -hmm. uh, um, Mudbox, uh, the, the same thing. Its controls are pretty similar, and and Max and Maya's interface, at least as far as navigation goes, are, are almost identical to each other. Mm -hmm. So it's the software that is totally off the map, and have decided they're going to reinvent, you know, how to do everything that is is difficult to use. Because... Blender. <laughs> I never use Blender, but you know that might be the case. Uh, it's a difficult thing though, because you you don't want to kill um, innovation. I mean, you want to do things that are new and better, but at the same time, there's certain things that you know, that we, that you learn from all these other pieces of the software. And if you make your piece of software so different that you have to totally change, you know, everything about your, your, your mindset to use it, then that's going to be a really difficult thing. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, you know, it's like all of a sudden saying, okay, well, the mouse is upside down if you use this piece of software. <laughs> it's like, well, 
I'm not going to use that software then <laughs> because I'm used to every other program does it this way. Or um, another great example is uh, in some apps, instead of the yes, no, cancel, they have like cancel, no, yes in like different spots. And that always oh, yeah. insane because you're so used to hitting, you know, no or yes in a certain spot. And when that changes, even if it's a better way of doing it, it's something you're not used to and you won't be used to it because you're so you're going to use all these other pieces of software too that all do it a different way. So there's some sort of happy medium between conforming and innovating, but I I think a good piece of 3D software really should go for that that uh, in between spot. Yeah, I agree. That's why I love that Final Cut and Premiere are so similar. You just have to rememorize the shortcuts. Yeah, exactly. Or you know, a lot of them have the ability to change the shortcuts, so they're more similar to whatever it is you want to you know, however you think. It's true. But I also that... have little cheat sheets on my monitor. I have these little strips on the sides which have a lot of, you know, shortcuts that I keep forgetting. So yeah, I have the... trying to burn into your memory. I have the manuals of Final Cut with me in my school bag always. No, but <laughs> yeah. But that the annoying the annoying thing on the Mac is the Mac button. I don't see why they has to have to replace the control and the control does something else. But anyways, I'm just going on. <laughs> That's what I like about Maya. You can make your own um, small icons on the toolbar and just yeah, use them instead of um, using shortcut. Well, that is true. Although one thing to consider is that you issue and it's yeah. a lot faster to hit a button than it is to move your mouse and, and um, you know hit that icon. True. Um, working at a big company, there's a lot of people who have been in the industry now for 30 or you know 30 years. And a lot of them have these really crazy setups because their hands are in just so much pain that they can't do, you know, the standard stuff that, that we do because mm -hmm. they've just done it so long and their hands are so messed up from it. So um, that's another, you know, thing which comes with the whole UI thing. It's like, well, this UI might be fine for a while, but you need to make sure that you can do things as efficiently as possible because otherwise we're just going to be, a, you know, a mess <laughs> and spend all our times in hospitals. Wow, I didn't know it was that serious. Oh, yeah, I can seriously imagine. Oh wow! That's no. scary. I mean, some people I know a few people who have actually left the industry because they're just in so much pain they can't do it anymore. That's scary, actually. Yep, definitely so. So uh, you know, make, make take lots of breaks. You know, do hand exercises, stand up, uh, do uh, do yoga, whatever you need to do in between. <laughs> you know, working to make sure you, you you keep going. It's like an athlete. I mean, you can only go so long. You know, doing the same thing over and over and over again if you don't stretch and prepare for for what you're doing. Yeah. It's, but uh, do they also get, like, RSI from typing? Yep. Well, I mean, RSI is repetitive stress uh, injury, so it means anything you do repetitively, if you do it enough, will eventually hurt you, no matter what it is that you're, you're doing. So there's a lot of ergonomic stuff you can do, though, to try to, you know, alleviate that. So um, the only thing is with, with, like, keyboard shortcuts, it's one button press or maybe, like, one combination of a button press rather than moving your mouse up to a location and then clicking on something. Yeah. So it, it tends to be a little bit better. But there's also different keyboards you can get, of course. You know, like, most, I'm sure you've seen those split keyboards, maybe even have yeah. one. Yeah, I have one. Or there's another person I saw as a keyboard that actually has, it's almost like you're reaching into two holes and all the keys are in there. The right. idea being that it makes the keys closer to your fingers so you can you can touch them faster without having to move them around as much. Hmm. But do those ergonomic keyboards actually do anything? Um, supposedly. Um, I don't have one, so <laughs> I don't I don't uh, have any personal knowledge of that. But I know some people who uh, swear by them and say that, you know, they're able to do things that they're able to work again, whereas if they use a regular keyboard, they're just in too much pain to do so. I think it's uh, just the way your hand needs to be positioned. 
Well, I think it's just a more efficient way of placing your hands. When I can also depends on where your hands are. Like, if your hands are up above a certain point on your body, that's bad. If your hands are sort of at a certain level uh, in relation to where your hips are and where your legs are, you're able to... It, it's a, a more ergonomic position, which mm -hmm. means you can work longer and, and uh, without, you know, as much pain. Um, there's, you know, entire science behind this that uh, I've only, you know, seen little bits and pieces of. But uh, it's it's a quite a, a complex uh, problem. Actually, when I came to Switzerland, uh, a can of... Dr. Pepper exploded on my old keyboard, <laughs> Don't. And, and then I, my brother gave me his wireless ergonomic keyboard, and actually I've never experienced any pain from using it, so I guess maybe it's good. That's possible. Well, it's also, it's it's not something where if you just use it too long at a certain time, it, it builds over age. I mean, um, how old are you? A 20. Right. And so, I've been, I've been, use, I've been, I've been using computers since I was six. Yep, well, I mean, I'm um, 30. Uh, I've been using computers probably since I was about 10 or so. But, you know, you're talking people who have been using computers and they're now in their, like, 50s. Wow. So it, it's it's a thing that builds over time. Scary. So you may not have to worry about it now, but at some point, yeah, all of us are going to have to worry about it. Well, maybe if modern science has something to say about it, maybe not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, bionic fingers. I'm all there. <laughs> Actually, there's regeneration there. Researching uh, regeneration. Yeah, no, those are very interesting topics. Um, I I hope that uh, a lot of that stuff succeeds. Yes, I I kind of have a secret desire to be immortal, and that's the most logical way of doing it: regeneration. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's a very complex moral uh, issue right there. <laughs> nah, there's nothing moral about it. Well, I mean, if you live forever. Um, and, you know, and not everyone lives forever at this time, and uh, that's, you know, one big issue that you're going to have to deal with. Or if everyone lives forever, then all of a sudden, you know, the planet overpopulates and we have to move to other planets. So everybody gets, regardless, everybody gets neutered, problem solved. Everyone gets neutered. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that sucks for people who want to have kids. Uh, that's something I'm actually going to, you know, be looking into in the next couple of years. Uh, so, you know, um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's an interesting uh, continuation. Good luck with your endeavors with the children. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I have to get married first, but uh, that's uh, that's in the planning. So, <laughs> good luck with your endeavors in the marriage. Women Thank are you. tough. <laughs> uh, well, I I managed to get a really good one. So, oh, you're lucky though. I, I won't get too uh, saccharine on you. Don't worry. All right. Um, well, um, you've worked in at two really cool studios, Blur and Pixar. Can you tell us a little bit about both of them? Uh, well, there are very different kinds of places um, in a lot of respects. Um, a lot of it really just falls into sort of the big company and small company um, differences. Like, if you're at a small company, you tend to do more on a shot. Uh, they, and they tend to hire generalists, people who can do a lot of different tasks. And when you work at a big company, things tend to be a little bit more uh, assembly line, and they get a lot of specialists, so people who are very good at one specific, you know, smaller thing. Um, although there, there's certain, you know, crossover. I mean, um, I work at a big company, and, and while I do things that are more specialized sometimes, I also try to hop around a lot and try to do, you know, a bunch of different things. So I might be modeling for, you know, uh, several weeks or a month or something, but then I try to hop over to do shading and whatnot. Um, so that's sort of one of the big things. Um, another big thing is a lot of uh, smaller companies tend to rely more on off-the-shelf software. Whereas um, on bigger companies, there tends to be more people who are pure programmers who may not, um, you know, be able to, to paint or draw, but who do 
um, you know, uh, program tools or actually just program the graphics themselves. So that's also a big, uh, big difference between the companies. And, uh, you know, once again, as with everything, there are advantages and disadvantages to both. And the ideal, I think, is combining both systems. So, you know, certain things are better done by hardcore programming and certain things are better done by just a couple of people's off-the-shelf software banging through it. And um, that's that's the ideal that I hope that we uh, we all can, can get to at some point because, you know, these movies are hard to make and they take a lot of time. And anything that we can do to, you know, speed up the process of making some Something that looks really good and has a really great story is is a, is a really you know important thing. Um, how did you get the job at Pixar? Uh, I applied. <laughs> I so, sent a bunch of demo reels out, and uh, they called me, and I went in for an interview, and uh, I got hired. What was the interview like? Uh, the interview was uh, a whole lot of smaller groups of people over a period of time. Um, so over, I guess, like a three or four hour period, you know, show off the demo reel, talk to the various people who are working at the company. And uh, it was actually really nice. Um, you know, Pixar is a very positive place. And a lot of people are, are really, you know, they're, they're genuinely happy. It's not just, you know, hey, we're going to be happy in front of the cameras. You know? so <laughs> it's uh, it's when the moment I got there, you just get this really positive, positive uh, vibe. And it actually really helped in my interview because it made me feel at ease. And anytime you're in any interview situation, of course, you know, you, you tend to get a little bit worried or scared just because, you know, it's nervous going in and trying to, to you know, persuade somebody that uh, they want you to work there. That's awesome. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. There's like a lot of people that would kill to to work at Pixar. Well, you know, it's a it's a great company, and um, we're always looking for good people. So, <laughs> if uh, you know, just keep working at stuff. But at the same time, you know, it's good to have experience all over the place. Like I know a lot of people want to jump immediately from school to the greatest job of all time. Uh, which, hey, you know, I, I can't blame you. But at the same time, you know, there's lots of other cool stuff being done by. Other Sometimes you just need to get a foot in the industry, you know. Sometimes you just need to get working somewhere and get, you know, your reel together so you can then work at, you know, some different place. That's um, what I'm doing. <laughs> there we go. Or, you know, sometimes it's also a matter of, of uh, you know, certain companies, they're a great company to work at, but they work in a very different way than the way you want to work. And maybe some other company is better for a better fit for you. Um, because everyone likes to work in a, in a different way. And, and, you know, like maybe one company, you really need to be a hardcore programmer to work there, but you, you know, don't really find that interesting. So even if you want to work at the company, you might realize, well, maybe I'll work at this other company instead because they do work closer to what I want to be doing. Uh, your voice is kind of going down a bit. Can you put the mic closer? Uh, yep, is that better? Yeah, it's much better, thanks. Um, okay. So what are your plans for the future? Well, um, I'm probably going to stay over a mat for the, the immediate future. Uh, I just bought a house, so uh, that means I'm not going to be moving anytime soon. <laughs> awesome. Which is fine by me because I really like San Francisco. Um, but, you know, I, I have a lot of things planned. I mean, I really uh, I'm enjoying doing CG features, but at some point I, I, you know, would like to do some live action stuff. At some point I might want to work in video games. Uh, I love doing my own work and my own stuff, uh, although I don't know if I can find a way to make a living at it because, you know, it's it's a it's a really really difficult task to to persuade somebody else that whatever you want to do is something that they want. <laughs> so, 
Well, my work is a little eccentric anyway, you know, the kind of stuff that I like doing. I don't know how commercially viable it is, but um, but I hope to, you know, do uh, do books of my work. And uh, I'm selling prints now, which is a, a really cool. Um, I found a really great company that makes these beautiful uh, G-Clay prints that are just, uh, the, the, the printing quality is great. I, I'm so happy to finally find somebody who can do that kind of stuff. And, really? What's the website? I'll, I'll probably be doing website but um so i have to be in san francisco in order to use them but uh the, the biggest problem i was had with printing stuff previously is like well the last time i tried printing stuff professionally was five years ago and a lot of the printers had the attitude of you give me the file i hit print whatever comes out is what you get well, and that's you know not appropriate for doing our kind of work because you want to say okay well you're printing it too black you're printing it too light you need more blue in there or something so i found a guy who was willing to do a set of test prints for a small price and then you know from there you adjust and then you can do the final print so um i'm i'm more than happy that's weird because here i had to print some stuff for school and and the guy here who i was printing with he was like if like if the image was bad, he'd print another one for me. Blah blah blah. It's weird that they would have such an attitude like that over there. Yeah, well, I, I ran into three different. I tried three different companies, and all three of them had basically the same attitude. Um, no, my dude. Once again, that was five years ago. Um, or it could just be, you know, could be a cultural thing. I mean, um, you know, being in the in the U.S. as opposed to being in a, in Europe. Who knows? But. Um, I, as I said, I'm very happy to, to no longer be in that situation and getting some some high quality prints. Awesome. Which is nice. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, so, so um, I don't know. So, what projects have you been working on? Other questions? Yeah, I'm starting to get really, really hot. I'm kind of sick. Oh, that's what do you got? A flu. Oh yeah, that really sucks. I had a uh, pneumonia uh, a couple of uh, months ago, and that really, really sucked. Oh. How did you so, get that? I had no idea. It was just one of these happened to attack the uh, <laughs> happened to attack the system. Well, it sucks. Visit yeah, your dentist every now and then. That'll keep you some fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, fortunately, I have really nice teeth, so I don't have to, to worry about that. I've forgotten a cavity in my life, so <laughs> you're lucky. Uh, yeah, I'm. Uh, I'll keep my fingers crossed. <laughs> Knock on wood. Yep, uh, I got some right here. So. My, uh, <laughs> Electrolift desk. <laughs> All perfect. So, do you have like any interesting stories that you you have from the industry from doing CG you'd like to share? Interesting stories. Well, I don't know. I mean, there's all kinds of crazy stuff that happens. Although, I think a less crazy stuff happens in the CG world than happens in the in the the real world film. <laughs> like mine, who uh, um, he did makeup effects for 15 years, and he just has so many stories about. You know, going over to Thailand and, you know, uh, filming while standing, you know, up to his neck in water for, you know, 12 hours and working on low budget, you know, Corman films and that kind of stuff. So by comparison, I think most of the stories you have in CG aren't just, you know, not nearly as interesting because most of your day is spent sitting in front of the computer. You know, they're, um, they're like, I saw something funny on iTunes, you know, or something like that. <laughs> but there must be like some drama that goes on. Oh, there's certainly drama that goes on, but, you know, a lot of that you can't, uh, it, it would be impolite to talk about. Um, well, too bad. Because <laughs> I'm sure, like, a lot, of, I'm sure a lot of people would like to know what goes on behind the scenes, not like what they show in, like, in the making of everybody smiling, modeling, look, I'm making this, but, like, like, what really goes on? Well, I mean, a lot of it is just 
it's work. I mean, you are given something, you need to produce it, and you need to produce it as uh, as uh, quickly as possible. Um, so a lot of the day is, I mean, I don't think things are radically different in the industry than the way it's it's portrayed, other than the fact that it's just a lot of hard work and there's a you know a lot of time and energy has to be put into into doing things. And sometimes you know a client will ask for something in a really short period of time, and your company decides, well, you know, we need this job, and so even though it's really going to take uh, you know, 30 or, or 40 days to complete, we'll have to finish it in five because that's all the money they have. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. Well, I mean, that is one of the things, um, not so much at, uh, at Pixar, Pixar being its own uh, deal, you don't have to worry about this, but when you're working for, you know, in the uh, uh, the rest of the industry, there's just a lot of, of overtime that has to be done. A lot of people spending tremendous amounts of, of time and energy, and, and a lot of it's unpaid too. So that's a, a big problem, I think, in the industry. Because if you're going to work, you know, 100 hour weeks, I think you should be compensated for working 100 hour weeks. Yeah. And a lot of a lot of companies don't do that, and you know, part of it is because they just can't pay for it. But the reason they can't pay for it is because they're trying they underbid the project in order to get the project. And I think that's a uh, a serious problem in the industry. You know, people who are underbidding stuff so that they get the project, but then they have to have their people work these ridiculous number of hours, and it's completely incompatible with having any sort of life outside of work yeah but it happens a lot though there are a lot of companies that that act the same way oh yeah no there's no uh no question about it but uh but it's a huge issue i mean well i'm sure you've seen there was a lot of issues with that on uh, certain big video game companies mm -hmm. you know, people talking about unions and that, that sort of possibility i don't know if a union would necessarily solve the problem uh but something definitely has to be done because the human body can only work so long before it, you know, just can't work anymore. I mean, yeah. I hate to think three, the idea is, well, we work everyone a hundred hour weeks until they burn out and then we fire them and then we hire a new student, you know, who's uh, 20 and just coming out of school. That seems <laughs> exactly. like a way uh, to, you know, do business, if not from a business perspective, certainly from a, you know, a, a, a moral perspective. I mean, I, uh, I'm 30. I don't want to, you know, think that my best years are gone. <laughs> well, it's scary, actually, to think about it. Well, yeah, yeah, but it happens, though. It does, but you just have to, you know, take that into consideration, whatever company you're working at. I mean, ask the questions when you're in the interview. I mean, a lot of advice when you're doing an interview is they're going to ask you a lot of questions, but you should ask a lot of questions about the company. You should say, well, you know, I mean, at the same time, you shouldn't say, well, I'm only going to work 40 hours a week, and that's that, because <laughs> that's just not the reality of the situation. You know, if you're if you're looking for the 9-to-5 job, this is not the, the kind of place for you to come mm -hmm. in. Time you shouldn't be, you know, abused. I mean, you should make sure that you're doing something which is okay with whatever situation you're in. I mean, I, I have a, a fiance now. You know, I, I have a house. Uh, I have all these outside activities, and you know, so um, the you know, at the end of a project, if I have to work seventy hour weeks, that's fine. That's cool. You know, it's got to be finished off. But you can't work every single week the hundred hours, or else mm -hmm. you're not able to do it anymore. You just burn out. But um, speaking of all that underbidding and all these studios, there's like a lot of saturation of like CG movies coming out. Oh yes, definitely. Do you think that's like harmful or? Well, it's harmful in the sense that a lot of them, you know, aren't terribly good uh, because. Well, you know, there's some people that want to make the films because they have a story to tell, and there's other people that want to make the films because they're trying to make money. And if you saturate the market with a whole lot of, of crap, you know, it's not going to help anybody uh, in the grand scheme of things. I mean, 
I, a couple of years ago, it was, you know, two or three films a year. You had uh, Pixar, you had DreamWorks, you had, you know, Blue Sky that came in with Ice Age. And um, nowadays, uh, well, just this past year, I think there has been more than one a month uh, mm -hmm. coming out. And yeah. I don't know if people want to, you know, number one, I don't know if they want to see that many films. And number two, I don't know if they want to see a film just because it's CG. I mean, my guess is no. Uh, they want to see a film because it's a, it's a good film or it's an entertaining film or because their kids are going to like it. But, you know, if you think that just by making a talking animal, you instantly will get every kid to love you, it's like, no, that's not the way it works. Yeah, how many talking animals can we take? <laughs> yeah, exactly so. Well, I, actually, I think the answer is if it's a good film, it doesn't matter if it's a talking animal, but how many bad films with talking animals can we take? <laughs> no, but still, eventually, it's like, even if it's a good film, I, if there was like five talking animal films that came out before it, past months, it's, you're not really motivated to go see another talking animal film. Right. And you well, know I what I see a lot is that you have several movies on the same subject. Um, this also applies for CG movies, like, uh, for example, Over the Hedge, and there's another one uh, called In the Wild or something. It's it's something similar. Yeah, well, actually, uh, Madagascar and The Wild were the two. Oh, the yeah, sorry. Recently. Yeah. Dennis, you're a bit loud. Uh, excuse me. Let me see. There was Toy Story, Small Soldiers, there was The Bug's Life, Ants, mm -hmm. Monst uh, Monsters, Inc., Shrek, Finding yep. Nemo. Uh, Shark Tale. It was done for the Incredibles, so. I'm trying to think about that. Well, I mean, I guess some of the CG human films that came out, but that's a little bit more vague, I guess. Well, I, I mean, it's been something that's gone a long, a long time, though, before that. I mean, you had uh, Volcano and um, Dante's Peak came out the same year. You had Mars Attacks and Independence Day. Mm -hmm. um, Deep Impact, just Comrade seem Ghetto. Yeah, it same, just seems as though... Year. Yeah, it just seems as though, you know, the, the same script is going around Hollywood and multiple people decide that they're going to do the same thing over and over and over again. Yeah, I mean, at our level, we don't really understand who's making the decision to, to greenlight this stuff. Um, although I have a couple of friends who are into writing scripts who might have some opinions on that. But at the end of the day, I mean, all you can do from your perspective is try to make the, the very best film you can. And, and an oversaturation of the market will certainly uh, hurt you in some respect. But, um, I mean, what can you do about it? You can't tell other companies are not allowed to make their films. Yeah. So when it comes down to it, all you can do is just try to do the, the very best thing you can and, and try to do something that's original, uh, as original as you can. Yeah. But the timing is... Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> it was like, there was like a joke that the two studios say, all right, we're going to make... Bo we're both going to make a movie about ants. Let's see who has the best movie. And that's... <laughs> <laughs> well, I doubt it's that much of a conspiracy, but... I mean, there's obviously, uh, you know, something strange how that happens all the time. I mean, Ants, I believe, was, was mentioned after A Bug's Life, but then they sped up the, the, the schedule so that they could get it out first. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's all this big... It's really difficult to tell who came up with the idea first. Like, I read an interview about The Wild where they said, well, actually, well, The Wild idea was came out long, 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 long before Madagascar, uh, but then they just were able to finish the film Madagascar faster, which is why it came out. So a lot of people thought The Wild stole its idea. But, you know, at who made the same the time, it's like, who, who knows? <laughs> who made The Wild? Um, a core up in uh, in Canada. Oh, it was um, it, it was... Um, uh, a former guy from Ireland that went up, a uh, former Canadian, well, uh, he's still a Canadian, <laughs> and he went up and uh, 
a core, I, I believe they were started as a, a, a group to work on, it was like a William Shatner started the, the company or was one of the investors or something like that. Uh, interesting. Uh, William Shatner being another uh, proud Canadian. He actually was from Montreal, same town as I was. <laughs> yes, the Star Wars guy. Yes, awesome, Sulu, let's go now. <laughs> But uh, our uh, one of the schools I went at, its student union building, was actually called the William Shatner Building because uh, um, he actually went to that school. <laughs> Who knew he did so much? Oh yeah, no, he's been uh, he's been around. Wow. But he has CDs, he does this and that. I just thought mm -hmm. he was famous for Star Wars. I mean Star Trek. Star Trek. Yeah, well, he um, that was certainly what he was most famous for, but uh, with a TJ Hooker, and uh, isn't he on Boston Legal or something now? Um, I don't watch the show, but I hear he, he's uh, doing a real good job on that in a dramatic role, too, as opposed to, you know, the, the sci-fi thing, so. We don't get much so. TV here, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't watch too much TV, I don't have the time, uh, but I am addicted to Lost, so. I've never That's, seen it. You've never seen Lost? No, Highly recommended no. when it comes out on uh, on DVD. Um, well, actually, I guess that's a big deal with you guys. Is is obviously movies? Certain movies come out, you know, over there sooner than they come out here, and, and vice versa. Mm -hmm. um, that's got to be sort of a, a interesting, you know, looking at it from the outside. Like, uh, wow, all these people are talking online about this great film that they all saw, but we're not going to be able to see it for another like month or something. Well, normally, it's not so bad. It's there's like a few weeks difference, but the 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 hard thing is trying not to watch the movie in French by accident. <laughs> ah, the, I see. Took for the English versions with three subtitles in three languages. Right. Yeah, I can imagine that being uh, being more complex. Well, it wouldn't matter all that much to me, I suppose, because I can speak French because I lived in Montreal. But No, but it, the thing is that when you watch a movie that's dubbed in French, and they just completely wreck it. Even the French people <laughs> don't like to watch the movies dubbed in French. Right. Yeah, I had a friend of mine who uh, lived in Germany and always said that the, the German translation of The Simpsons was the worst translation he'd ever seen of anything. <laughs> the voices didn't even sort of match the characters. No, not at all. It's horrible. I tend to prefer to watch films in their original language, whatever they are. So if it's a Japanese film, I tend to prefer the original language track, but with, you know, subtitles underneath. Uh, or, when uh, Japanese shows, uh, movies are awesome in Japanese. And then, if, you, if you watch it long enough, like... When you read the subtitles and you hear their voice, it kind of, like, blends. It's weird. Yeah. Yeah, well, um, if you watch enough films with subtitles, it eventually just sort of becomes a natural thing to look down at the, uh, at the bottom of the you feel You feel like you understand what they're saying. Somehow. Well, and that's actually a great sign of, certainly from an animation perspective, I worked at Pixar and Monsters, Inc. was being played, and I'd already seen the film, but... At the same time, I didn't want to pay the $2 or something for the, uh, the headphones to watch the film. So I, I, I was sort of just sitting there, and I watched the film, and at certain points, you can just sort of tell exactly what they're saying, even though you're not hearing what they're saying. And I think that's a sign of a great uh, animation, you know, of great animation, when somebody is able to convey exactly what they're thinking without having to say a word. And, uh, you know, as far as animation goes, the, the, the animators at Pixar are really good. So I'm very, very proud to be part of the company. I'm sure, Imagine. Yeah, we're, I'm sure a lot of people are jealous. <laughs> well, just, you know, keep working in your own stuff and, uh, you know, keep pushing forward. I mean, as I said, I, I have, you know, people saw my original work when I first started. It's like, you know, atrociously bad. <laughs> but, yeah, everyone's everyone's got to start somewhere. You, know? you, you should show yeah. us now and before. 
<laughs> the stuff, the original stuff. Well, when uh, Pavre, um, the very first piece of 3D software I used, uh, the very first image I ever made was a fractal landscape with a, a moon behind it and a gradient, you know. And th that was cutting edge at the time <laughs> to be able to do that. But uh, nowadays, you know, it wouldn't, uh, wouldn't pass muster. But things have changed a lot. I mean, I, I'm, I'm sort of happy the position I... The sort of the spot I got in on the industry because I got to watch a lot of things change. You know, um, I started using computers before there was a mouse, uh, yeah. which is so. You know, back in the earliest days, it was all just programming. It was all just you know, put the pixel here and uh, color it this color, and uh, it helps me understand you know CG from a number of different angles, which I, I kind of like. That must be that must have been hard to do something by just programming it. Well, I mean, you you find tricks like you get a piece of graph paper. Um, and then you would draw what you wanted to draw, and then you'd sort of color in the dots, you know, that you would want, and then you'd... So then when you were typing stuff in, you'd be typing the coordinates because you're looking at your little diagram that you drew separately. So, um, and then the mouse got, you know, uh, popularized, and that was amazing because you could just click in the area that you wanted, <laughs> and it would, you know, paint whatever color you wanted. And uh, that was uh, that was a fantastic revolutionary thing, and... Uh, now we're you know at the point where you got programs like Painter or uh, or Photoshop and uh, or uh, Art Rage, which I haven't played with yet, but I've seen some cool stuff with, and it's it's a whole different world, you know, being able to, to paint in a more some more traditional way, but uh, on the computer where you have wonderful features like Undo and you undo. know things like that. That Undo is magical. Oh, it, it totally is. <laughs> but like, what if a painter makes a mistake? Do they just paint? White, paint it white over it. You let it dry and just paint white and just start over. Um, no, you generally just paint. Well, it depends on the the kind of paint. I mean, like I do uh, acrylic painting, and the one nice thing about acrylics is you can layer. So if you paint something you don't like, you just paint over it with whatever it is that you do want. You don't have to like you know break it down. But then there's other kinds. I mean, like watercolor. To a certain extent, you can remove some watercolor, but if you're doing stuff with inks, uh, whatever you've made is what you've made, and so <laughs> you you know you have to rely on the happy accidents. And if you really mess something up, you can only do so much. Um, you know, there's little tricks you can do, like you can take razor blades and remove a little of the paper and then paint over top. But <laughs> you can generally see the result of that uh, afterwards. So a lot of it is just you you got to be very careful and you got to start you know very lightly and then build your colors over a period of time. And I mean, that's a whole different world for them. It's a really great world, and I, I will never stop, you know, drawing in real life and painting in real life. But there's just so many advantages from a, a, a speed perspective, and and also from a look perspective. There's a lot of things you can do in digital that you just can't do painting in, in the you know real media, much in the same way as things in the real media. It's uh, it's a, it's a lot of fun. I've been doing a lot of painting recently uh, in, in uh, Photoshop and to some extent Painter, and it's been been a lo load of fun. Have you tried Painter? Like, is it easier to paint in Painter or Photoshop? Totally depends what you're doing. Um, Photoshop is better at manipulating things, I feel, and Painter is better at doing real media. So if you want to make something look a little more like it was actually painted, Painter is just awesome. If you want to make something that's a little bit more technical, then, then uh, Photoshop is usually better. Um, and uh, Painter can read PSD files, so a lot of the time, a lot of people go back and forth. Like, um, if you ever look at some of the, the Ryan Church DVDs, for example, um, uh, the Noman DVDs or whatnot, um, him and a lot of other people, they go back and forth between programs a lot, depending using the advantages of, of each program. 
Um, plus, Painter is this really great feature which allows you to rotate your canvas <laughs> non-destructively just in the view. Because when you're drawing a straight line, the, the human hand generally only has like a 30 or 40 degree area where drawing a straight line is easiest. And then after that, drawing a straight line becomes more and more difficult. So it's easier. If, if you draw something in real life, you have a piece of paper and you, you know, twist the paper around when you're drawing straight lines. So to not be able to do that digitally is kind of bad. So uh, Painter has a feature which lets you rotate the paper the paper just to, so you can draw a straight line in the, whatever direction it is and then rotate it back really quickly without doing any actual pixel like pixel manipulation like you would in Photoshop. Okay, I should... I'm, I'm, I'll try Painter because I've tried painting in Photoshop and I've failed miserably. Miserably. <laughs> I tried well, you to, know? I tried to like go go at it like it was real paint. Right. It didn't work so well. Are you? Um, do you do traditional painting or have you done traditional painting? I've done a, a bit, but I haven't done any in a long, long time. Well, I mean, Painter is closer to the traditional media than Photoshop is, but then there's a lot of cool stuff that Photoshop can do. Uh, well, give it a shot. I mean, you know, it's always good to, to try new pieces of software. And uh, you, you can figure out Painter pretty quickly. It took me about a, a weekend to, you know, figure out how the program works. And, of course, it would take me a lifetime to, to perfect it, <laughs> right. like anything else. It's always perfecting it. That's hard. Yeah, and it it'll take a while. It's just a process. I mean, you know, a, a lot of it is just sitting down and just doing it over and over and over again. And eventually the paintings will get better and better. I mean... yeah. Well, it helps. That, that's one thing there. a lot of people a lot of people sort of hope that there's some sort of magic formula like what is the thing I need to do in order to make sure that my images look great, you know, uh, right off the bat. And it's like, well, no, you just have to keep working at it, and then eventually, you know, if you love doing it enough and if you keep practicing enough, yeah, you'll get better at it. You just will. Um, it's so much about it as being obsessed about it and being, you know, interested in doing it and just doing it a whole lot. And there's, you know, tricks you can use to do things faster here and there, but a lot of it is just to, to do what you have to do. And there's no, you know, magic, oh, if I take this course uh, to, you know, I can start from zero and uh, in two months be good enough to work at, you know, this really crazy, amazing company. Yeah. Actually, this yeah, that's is how I started out. I was like, hey, how do you make metal? Yeah, do these things, and then you have metal. All right, nice. And then you find out that none of those methods really work. You have to find your own way of creating a material that you like. Actually, uh, some courses are cool because me, I, I know Photoshop well, and I've done a lot of things with it. But um, at the beginning of the year, we had this really intense crash course in Photoshop where they would teach us like some really advanced stuff and. Like I learned a lot of really interesting things, and they gave us a crash course in Inventor. I mean, not Inventor, Illustrator. I've never used Illustrator before, mm -hmm. but now after that one day, I can make illustrations and stuff. So, oh, certainly not. Um, but it still takes a long time to, to you know perfect whatever craft it is you're you're trying to do. Yeah. Uh, plus, one of the nice things about Illustrator is a lot of it are very similar tools to Photoshop. So once you know one piece of software, you can move over pretty quickly. Although I never liked the uh, spline tools in uh, in the Illustrator. Uh, I, I know it seems kind of ridiculous and backwards, but a lot of times when I'm doing splines, I'll actually do them to Max. Uh, yeah, me too. And because I really love just their interface for dealing with you know the Bezier splines and and all that kind of stuff, and then I'll just render it from a top perspective. And I have all these scripts I wrote, which you know speeds up the process for rendering those kind of things out. Really? Yeah. Could you send them to me? Because I I did all, all my graphism homework in 3D Studio Max because I I just could not 
handle <laughs> illustrators with their thing and seeing your 2d illustration in 3d is actually much cooler well the um they're actually already available um some of those scripts are part of the Blur scripts, which were some scripts I wrote while I was uh, working at Blur, uh, which are available on my website. And um, some of them might also be part of the new Solvern scripts, which after I left Blur, you know, I, I had other scripts I wanted to do and I had improvements on scripts I wanted to make and, and whatnot. So I branched out because I was no longer working at Blur, so it didn't make much sense to keep working on Blur scripts. Okay. Not to mention, you know, contractually, that would mean I was doing uh, freelance, which, you know, is not a good thing. So. All right. Well, that's cool. I thought I was the only person doing that. Nope. There's all pretty... kinds of people doing all kinds of different ways. So uh, at least I know I'm not crazy. Actually, my teacher really liked it. I had done one illustration of graphism homework in 3D Max, and she really dug it. Cool. Maybe you should make a tutorial about it. <laughs> that, that maybe I should. <laughs> Although, you know, most of it's just the tools itself. And, the, you know, once you learn the, the Max tools for doing that kind of thing, it's all pretty straightforward from there. But uh, I'll put that on the list. I have a big list of tutorials I want to make, and eventually I get around to, to making them. But there's only, only so much free time during uh, during the day. But would it be considered technically a, a vector because, like, you could render it at whatever resolution you you want, right? Yep. Oh no, it's exactly the same thing. The only difference is it's um, you sort of have to turn the three D view into a two D view. Yeah. So you have to make a camera which is you know directly above with no perspective. You need to turn it into an orthogonal camera. Um, you know, a bunch of stuff like that. Although there's certainly a lot of wonderful experiments you could do with two D stuff. You know, and then a 3D camera flying around it. Okay. Um, I mean, there's been a lot of, of push over the you know past number of years to make things look as photoreal as possible, and I'm really excited about the idea of doing stuff that's not nearly as photoreal. I mean, if we need to do photoreal, we can do photoreal. That's been been proven. You know, with mm -hmm. I guess the last big thing being the absolute perfect photoreal human. But a lot of what I'm more interested in is doing stuff that you know could only be done in the computer. It's like if you're going to do a human, why don't you just film a real human, okay. as opposed be perfect CG human, um, which you know some people. That's cool, and it helps push forward the industry. So you know, go at it. But personally, I'm just not as interested in doing that myself. Um, that's one of the reasons I like the the Incredibles uh, characters because I felt that they were believable, but at the same time they were very stylized, and I thought that that was a really cool kind of, of take on the subject rather than going for something that looked absolutely human. Yeah, that's true. I, I, I agree 100%. I want to, like, experiment in self-shading, but I, the, the, the cliché self-shade look, looks very dumb. Not dumb, but looks very bad. Well, I mean, it's also its own sort of thing. I mean, do you want to try, take your computer and make it look like something that was actually done uh, traditionally, no. or do you want to take your computer and try something that only the computer could, could yeah, I want to, help you do? I I kind of I kind of found the effect. I heard somebody talking about something, and I tried to implement it. Uh, actually, make the lines three D, and it's kind of it's kind of looking good. It looks cel shaded, but it still looks three D at the same time. Right. So so I want to like get that perfect balance in the middle. Sure, yeah, that sounds really cool. There's a uh, last year's. Um, uh, 
was Oscar uh, short films. There was some really cool ones that were, there was such a variety. It was really nice to see, you know, you had one film that was all very low tech 2D type stuff and mm -hmm. another film um, that was almost all silhouettes. Um, <laughs> what was it called? Uh, I forget what it was called, but it was all these black silhouettes with these these multi-textured backgrounds, and I thought that that was really a cool effect to, to do the film, and it really worked with the film because it was a sort of uh, steampunk, uh, big mechanical machine spewing out tons of, of uh, you know, like uh, industrialized England, but now all of a sudden you're in the sci-fi world kind of stuff. And so I think it's really cool when somebody comes up with a new aesthetic, which works well with whatever story they're video for a broken social scene almost crying because the entire thing is a silhouette ah, I haven't seen it I watch very few music videos but then again I also listen to very little uh, popular music so actually it's not popular at all oh really <laughs> <Not> at <laughs> what all. style uh, it's kind of weird indie style I'm not really sure what it's considered ah, okay because like a big metalhead so actually, I listen to crazy uh, stuff ah then you're like Dennis ah is Dennis even still here? Yeah, I'm here. I thought you'd be excited that you have another metalhead. I like to make fun of Dennis because of his metalhead. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. What kind of bands do you listen to, Dennis? Um, on Metallica mostly. Um, some Finnish bands. Um, soil, soil work. Okay. Um, Demi Borgir. Right. I don't know. A lot of a lot of bands actually. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big death metal fanatic, so, you know, Suffocation, Cryptopsy, Origin, those kind of guys. Meshuggah? Uh, yeah, Meshuggah. Um, nice. Actually, nice, I did a, nice. I did a uh, uh, album cover for the uh, guitar player for Meshuggah for the side project that he was doing. Nice. Which, uh, that was the, that was kind of cool. Yeah, Meshuggah were great. They just they reinvented... The, well, th they obviously took stuff from other people and sort of turned into their own thing, but they created a whole genre of music, uh, you know, a subgenre of metal, which uh, is really impressive. And I really loved their music when I first heard it way back uh, when they were doing the Contradictions Collapse stuff and the, their Nun yeah. EP, which was, you know, spectacular. Exactly. I like the fact that they made uh, a whole album on, on one song and... Later on, on a new album, they just cut them up in um, different songs, but they were all still connected. And yep. I don't know, I found that very, very interesting. I really liked uh, Fred Thorndall's uh, special defects, where he had the um, the one long song, which was sort of the multiple pieces. Although I kind of like it, the original one, as opposed to the remixed one, which was all just one big track. You know, it's a big... Uh, 50 minute uh, tune on my uh, my iPod. <laughs> yeah, isn't it called One or I? I no, no, yeah, that, that was the that was the Meshuggah, uh song that they did. Uh, oh. But this was a separate one that uh, came out years years before. I guess back in like the mid 90s. Uh, I, I think it was more recent, like 2003, 2004. Oh, wow. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. So, I guess that would be the end of the show. A little music and <laughs> a music talk for the end. Right, a little music, musical interlude. <laughs> yeah. Just Crazy to break, stylings of... Just to break it up a little bit, you know, keep yeah. people guessing. We talk about geology, music, everything except for CG. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> we missed the whole CG thing. Oh, I think yeah. we got a couple of CG things. Uh, yeah, we got a bit. It's, sure. fun. it's fun to add, you know, so you don't get oversaturated with CG. Yeah, well, I think it's a... a good thing too to have a lot of different areas of, of interest i mean if you spend all your time sitting in front of the computer doing 
only CG, then at some point you're just going to get really burned out doing it. And you, you need to be obsessed about it, but at the same time you need to go out and see things and, you know, get inspired. I mean, I, I really love nature. I spend a lot of time wandering around, you know, uh, doing hikes and whatnot. And you just see these beautiful things and you're like, wow, you know, that's a really cool shape. If only that were big and giant and robotic and had like <laughs> lots of tentacles and teeth, that would make it even cooler. And then, you know, you draw a little thing quickly and you go home and, you know, a couple of weeks later you have yourself a finished image. So... It's, yeah, uh, there's a lot of things to be inspired about in the world. It's hard to exactly. it's hard to recreate the world when you don't know what it looks like. Yeah, definitely so. And well, it's also just hard to, you know, be inspired if all you see is you know all your images are going to end up looking like computer screens because that's all you look at. <laughs> <laughs> Empty gaps. So if you have a an overview in your head of what something needs to look like, then it'll automatically fill it in no, and try to blend it with. And the real world. Yeah, to some extent. And also, it's good to lots of reference. I have a huge number of reference books and such for every topic imaginable. So, and, and you know, images, a whole vault full of images on my hard drive of, of every topic you can possibly imagine. So if somebody's like, uh, uh, I need blah, 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 I could just pull it out and, <laughs> and see what the real thing is before you go and try to replicate it. Um, I'm a big believer in looking at, you know, really observing something before you try to then make something look just like it. Um, back in the early days, you know, I would make something based off just sort of what I thought something looked at, looked like, but um, it never seemed to quite work out. And so things seemed to work a lot better when I actually took a real good amount of time staring at something first and then, you know, breaking it down. What are the 10 things that make this object look like this object? And then try to replicate that in CG. Mm-hmm. That's good advice. Yeah, a lot of my tutorials are like that on my website. It's all about, like, the material tutorials especially. I've been trying to, at the very top of each tutorial, say, okay, well, here's this material. Here are the five things that make this material look like this material. And then here's how you might want to go and try to replicate this using, you know, various pieces of software. And hopefully they're general enough that people using all kinds of different software, you know, can, can do it. Because there's a lot of options these days. I mean, even if you're just a Max, you can render with a Scanline render. You can render with Brazil, you know, V-Ray. You know, Mental uh, Ray. Yeah, Mental Ray, you know, which is now built in. So there's... Uh, if you try to make things as general as possible, and hopefully enough, there's a, a larger group of people that'll be able to take the the concepts from it and then figure out in their particular favorite, you know, renderer or software how to do what needs to be done. Yeah, that's true. I've, I've used your your tutorials quite a bit. Oh, cool. Glad they helped all the uh, learn. They helped all the learning process. <laughs> I'm glad you've uh, found them useful. Yeah, actually, before when I was learning, I would just. I didn't even have internet those times, so I used to go to like a cyber cafe, and I would bring like uh, a CD. They would just search for a bunch of tutorials and save them, and then just do them at home. <laughs> right, bring it back. Yeah, yeah. The internet really has revolutionized being able to do a lot of this stuff because there's just so many resources out there for people to look into. Um, back when I started, the internet was still in its infancy, so I was on CompuServe, you know, back before there was the the, the more general World Wide Web became popular, and uh, it just expanded from there. I mean, I just it's very difficult for me to do work without having the internet present because there's just so many times where I'll want to look up something or, uh, you know, find more reference images or I can't figure out how to do something, and so I go, you know, to a forum and ask a question or something like that. So. Yes, mm -hmm. I agree. I become very unproductive if I don't have the internet. 
Yeah, but at the same time, you also have to avoid spending all your time looking stuff up, and sometimes you just got to sit down and do the work. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And the only thing I use the internet for is to create um, or to, to look up reference pictures for something I need to recreate. Right. At this point, I have so out. many of them. It's pretty rare that I need to look up stuff anymore, <laughs> but it uh, it happens now and again. You know, or I just need more specific reference on some very obscure thing that I want to want to try to do. Uh, I have yeah. lots and lots of reference of uh, uh, wires and tentacles, since, uh, as my <laughs> personal artwork shows, I tend to like that kind of stuff. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, like uh, the the big the, the front page of your website is the big monster. <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. The uh, well, how's the alternative birth image on it? Actually, a friend of mine just bought a uh, a print of that, and uh, he was gonna hang it up in his bathroom, <laughs> oh, uh, <my. laughs> which I thought was great, but eventually degrade the uh, the the image. But, uh, Not because it's scary. <laughs> well, no, I think that would be that's what makes it more fun. Is like you're about to go to the bathroom, and all of a sudden you see this big, you know, uh, organic orifice spitting forth <laughs> these wires. I think it would be kind of disturbing and yet amusing at the same time. <laughs> I tend to find humor in things that are a little bit, you know, strange and disturbing. Mind you, my friend in question is a uh, huge uh, horror film fan, so. Uh -huh. Uh, he, he likes that kind of stuff. I mean, I do too, but not nearly as much as him. You know, he's got all the t-shirts from all the major, you know, horror films throughout the years and whatnot. Wow. <laughs> Surreal fanatic. Yeah, that, that he is. So, you said you worked on some 2D stuff in, in the past. Um, did you work on actual games, like very well-known games, like um, Simon the Sorcerer or any no, of those 2D uh, I... adventure games? No, all of the, the 2D stuff I did was all based on this video game that I was planning on making, and then <laughs> all right. I did. So I never actually got into the game world. Although the game world is so much different now than it was back then. I mean, yeah. I, I I grew up during the you know Street Fighter 2, Mortal Kombat. Uh, you know, that was sort <laughs> yeah. of my the good my, days. Yeah, the yeah, good the, days. Yeah, the days. And now everything is 3D, and and that's cool. I mean, 3D is, is nice, you know, for games, but at the same time, there's a part of me that sort of also likes playing those those older games, which were more, uh, more you know, 2D from the side, you know, beat people out, double dragon type stuff. Yeah, but the funniest thing is that the older games are usually the, the nicest to play. I used to play games uh, a lot more back in those days than I do now. Yeah, for some sense. reason, games are not really that interesting right now. Yeah, they get well, boring very fast. Yeah, I don't know why... I, there are some. They were just that getting really spoiled like. by the graphics. <laughs> well, I mean, it's maybe it's a little bit like movies. I mean, if you, the best graphics in the world aren't going to help a bad story, and a bit, the best exactly. graphics in the world aren't going to help, help bad gameplay. So mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of people who might be going after the shiny apple, you know, more than thinking about well, how are you going to interact with the game, and how's that, you know, how does that work? Or, or um, there have been a few really good video games recently though that I've gotten into. Uh, Blur was a huge Quake company, so. I got, you know, I played a lot of Quake when I was there. Uh, Quake 3, uh, primarily, although oh. Quake 2 at the, at the very beginning. And um, Halo was a really great game. I really liked the uh, the original Halo. Um, on the computer, mind you, I never really got into the uh, the controller on the uh, the Xbox. For Horrible. So uh, I, I can't wait until Halo 2 eventually comes out on the regular computer so I can, uh, I can play it. And, Are you looking uh, forward to Vista? Oh, uh, Windows Vista? Because you need Vista to play Halo 2. Oh, oh really? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting to know. Well, I mean, it's been a long time since I've been on XP, so it'd be probably kind of nice to, you know, move on to a new operating system. I'm really excited about going 64-bit 
Although I have to wait until all the software I want to use has a 64-bit version to really take advantage of that. But it seems like the past five years we've been stuck at this 2-gig limit for RAM, and I want to finally go past that and not have to worry quite as much about, you know, can I really render this displacement at this high resolution because it might crash. <laughs> yeah, I know that's a horrible feeling. Yeah, well, it seems like there's been a big stagnant point where, like, 2 gigs has sort of been the limit. You know, and there's some things, tricks for doing 3 gigs and whatnot, but 2 gigs has sort of standardly been the limit for RAM for a very long time. I mean, back when I first joined Blur, like, 7 or 8 years ago, uh, most of our machines were 2 gig, you know, uh, machines, and now it's still the same story. So it's going to be really nice to finally, you know, get 128 gigs of RAM or something ridiculous <laughs> like that. <laughs> I can render stuff at 8K. <laughs> The RAM prices are going to go sky high. Well, I'm, I don't know. I mean, back back in the day, again, I used to spend fifteen, you know, hundred dollars on one gig of uh, sorry, on one uh, meg of RAM, you know, in the earliest days. So things are pretty inexpensive now in comparison. But it's it's all relative, actually. Yeah, it'll be the same story in the future. Stuff will oh, yeah. get more cheap, and yeah, but you'll need more of it in order to keep up with everybody else. So. Well, that's the economics, right? There's a price point that people are willing to pay for something, and if you, yeah. no matter what it is, you can't do it. Um, you know, like the, the Neo Geo, I don't know if you remember that video game console, but that came out at the same time as the Sega Genesis and the you know Super Nintendo and whatnot, and it was it went after the market of, well, our you know games are going to be $500 each, but they're going to be the best games you've ever played. And they got a certain amount of market share, but they eventually went away because it's just, People, you know, aren't willing to spend that kind of money, no matter how good a game is. Actually, their games are really good. Yeah, I know they really got into the fighting game thing after yeah, a while. They was... every fighting game imaginable. They just had so many different characters. They had King of Fighters, Last Blade, all those cool games. Yeah, World was there World Fighters or World something? No, King of yeah. Fighters. I don't know World. No, there was, there was another one which had the word World in it. I forget. I played it a couple of times, but. I did like the fact that their arcade games were exactly the same as their home yeah, games. Yeah, exactly. Kind of nice, uh... You could choose $500 or $0.25. Cents. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ah, back when video games were $0.25. Cents. Yeah. <laughs> Seems I... like everything is now a, a dollar. <laughs> the arcades... <laughs> yeah, I mean, the arcades $0.25, cents, you get a play for it. Mm, yeah. Well, these days, arcades, there's just... Pretty much the only video games in arcades are the games you cannot play at home. So the stuff like the the driving games and the whole big box, or the the seems like sports games are really popular. Which I'm not so much into the sports stuff. I'm more into the 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 action adventure, you know, fighting kind of stuff. So it's uh, there's not a lot of that in arcades anymore. And there's not many arcades anymore, which is kind of a shame. Yeah, you... people growing up now are not going to have the same experience uh, when I grew up. There's a funny story. One time I was in an arcade with my friend. And these two guys were playing a football game. And it was a kid against this older guy. And the kid was beating the older guy's ass in the football game. And the older guy, like, attacked the kid, man. He was like, no, you alone. I wanted to play by myself. And then he played. <laughs> in real life? Yeah, I attacked him in real life. And then, <laughs> oh, man. Like, like, they were fighting and, like, machines were moving. And I didn't notice. I was there busy playing, like, Marvel vs. Capcom 2. And then my friend is calling to me, hey, watch out. Because the guys were coming my direction. And had to move, and the security guard came with a shotgun <laughs> and tell them to separate. Dear lord. You know, it's it's just a game. It's meant for fun. I mean, I understand about being competitive and all, and certainly after a couple of Quake games at Blur, I was, you know, angry, but you can't go and turn into a real-life fight. I know. Uh, the thing was an older guy attacking a younger kid. 
Yeah, and that's the same thing. I mean, when you're you know on the internet or you're playing a video game, everyone's equal. But in the real world, you know, if you're six foot tall and you're fighting somebody who's four feet tall, it's like <laughs> that, that's not fair. That's not worth fighting for anyway. Yeah, well, that's that's the tentacles can get a little. <laughs> that's you know, you can go away, calm down, breathe at times, you know, and then come back. And then if you're still annoyed, you know, then, you know, do something about it. But there's no no reason to, to beat somebody up over a video game. Yeah, kids are missing out on that excitement. Because you can't... <laughs> the excitement of getting beaten up by older men? You can't, like, in an arcade, you can't go to SDFU noob to their face and get away with it like they do on the internet. <laughs> right. You have to watch what you say. Yeah, definitely so. Yeah, that's one of the big problems with the internet is the fact that because everyone's anonymous, everyone can be, you know, a, a raging asshole if yeah. they want yeah. to be. And it's like ruining it for all the people who just want to, you know, learn new things and try different stuff. And Exactly. And it's it's uh, the whole, I really hate trolls. And I it's really difficult if somebody is, you know, being annoying to not fall into the... The, the habit of, you know, trying to refute them. Because when it comes down to it, is if somebody is angry and somebody is going to, you know, wants to, to be right, they're going to be right, and they're just going to keep attacking, and there's just no reason to argue, even argue with them, because there's just no way it's going to do any good. But it, it doesn't stop you. You still want to somehow, you know, persuade the person that what they're doing is wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's human nature. Yep, yeah, that definitely it is. So have you actually worked on any games in the past, or...? No, I've not worked on any real games that ever got sold. I just <laughs> okay, because that was, was, was going to be my next question. Um, how much the, the workflow differs from a game development company and the company you work at right now? Well, I have a lot There's of friends who work There is a big difference, but I have a lot of friends who work at, at uh, game companies. and it, I mean, there is a big difference, but at the same time, a lot of what you're doing is the same thing. It just requires you to sort of meet a different set of expectations, you know? Yeah. Um, it's like, you know, low-poly low modeling. The tools are pretty much identical. It's just when you're working on a CG film, you have different specifications on what your model can be than when you're working on a, a video game, you know? So it's something that's totally learnable. It's, you know, it's, it's, I think it's interesting. And as I said, maybe at some point I'd like to go uh, give it a shot. Yeah. So um, when you're doing high-poly modeling for uh, a movie or whatever, um, are you still bound to limits like poly counts or texture oh, sizes? Totally. I mean... You just have to think of scale. I mean, if you have mm -hmm. one object that is really expensive, well, that's fine. But remember, there's a team of 30 other people who are all building objects. And at some point, they're all going to get put into a scene. You've seen in polygons. And that's not going to render because you just can't render it. So I spend a lot of my time making sure that my stuff is very optimized. I mean, as optimized as, as it can be to have the level of detail that you need in the final image. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, uh, Blur trained me very well in that because uh, people were very conscientious of Blur of trying to make sure things were as, as uh, you know, inexpensive polygon-wise as possible. So I learned those lessons and I try to apply it for, for everything I do because if you can get the same effect, you know, uh, as... If you can achieve the same final look but with less polygons, it's always going to help, especially if you have a scene with a whole lot of stuff in. 
Yeah. yeah, but I think it also depends on how important the object is. Is it going to be in the picture all the time? Is it going to be in the background? Is it a oh, small totally. object or a big object? I mean, that's... And that's one of the difficult things sometimes when you're dealing with a big film is that you're if you're only doing modeling, you're sometimes removed. So you don't know how close you're going to get to an object or you don't know where it's going to be in frame. All you know is that you've been handed a, uh, a piece of paper and told to build it. Mm -hmm. um, and then sometimes things change too. Like sometimes uh, an object will be far off in the background, but then a director sees the object and says, "That's great! I want it now to be, you know, full screen at 2K." And you know, you're like, "I didn't build it so you could see it that close." <laughs> and you got to go back and remodel or something. So don't they, show, they, don't they normally like show you the storyboard before? Oh yeah, I mean, there's a certain amount of that, but things change all the time. I mean, if you waited for the storyboards to be absolutely 100% finished before you modeled anything. Uh, that just doesn't happen, no matter what company you work at or, or where you know things are, are going. So you have some idea of what's going to happen, but things reappear later on in films that you wouldn't have even imagined, and and you know a scene that you worked on might show up later on in the film uh, at the last minute. They say, you know, to get the story across, we really need another scene in this in the set, and then all of a sudden your set is being scrutinized a lot more. Oh. So personally, I tend to be of the opinion that the best route is to try to make stuff as cheap as possible for what it is and it, later on if you need to plus something out then you should plus something out rather than building everything to you know so that you can look at it uh at 100 percent view uh but you know there's different there are pluses and minuses to that if you do that you have to make sure there's time at the end of the schedule to go out and plus out things mm. um so you have to finish a little bit earlier so that you have that time later on to go back and, and uh and fix things up if something isn't holding up Oh, that's pretty cool. I always thought that they, they always had the storyboards finished before they started, like, the production. Well, I mean, to some extent, but things are constantly changing and evolving. Um, things are never 100% ever in any particular department. I mean, even though it's assembly line, it's not assembly line like every single stage is 100% done before the next person gets in. You just can't do it that way. Plus, people get different ideas. Like, sometimes the director will look at something that's, you know, far along and say, oh, wow, you know, if only I had done this, it would be even better. And then they look at the budget and decide whether or not they can afford to go back and change things. I mean, it's... Uh, when, when you're making a painting, you're not you have an idea of what you want to do when you're making the painting, but along the way, while you're painting the painting, you get new ideas and better ideas and things you want to try out. And it's exactly the same way from a, uh, a production. It's not like you know exactly what you're going to get before you, uh, you know, actually start working on it. Yeah, uh, change my pers uh, that changed my perspective of how it's done. Well, um, so far we've been recording for one minute, for one hour and twelve minutes, so I think it's time to wrap it up. Okay. Well, thank All you very right, much for the, uh, the opportunity to, uh, to talk to everybody. And thank I hope, you. Uh, I haven't bored you with stories of uh, non-CG-related stuff. No, it's <laughs> all good. It's all good. We have to variate the things. Sure. Very good. So do you have any last comments, thoughts, anything you want to say? Um, well, I'm just, you know, thank you to everybody who's, you know, visited my site, and I get a lot of really great feedback about my tutorials, about my artwork, and, and all the stuff I do, and I just, you know, I'm really there who are interested in the in the kind of stuff they do and uh you know every just work hard and you know follow your dreams and whatever part of the industry you want to be in and doing whatever you want to do you know uh, just work at it and you'll get to where you need to be awesome amen <laughs> <laughs> there we go all right good night everybody you'll see you later later